The uh, scripture text uh, is found in the book of Luke. It's the 24th chapter, and it's verses 13 through 35. But I'm not going to read it this morning like I normally do. I just kind of want to highlight the, uh, the points in the scripture. It's about the, uh, it's about the road to Emmaus. Two disciples left Jerusalem on this particular afternoon, and the scripture says they headed for a place called Emmaus, which was three score furlongs. Now, in, we don't understand furlongs like they did then, so I had to look it up. And it's anywhere from 660 feet is a furlong, to, uh, or it might, might be 606 feet is a furlong. But there were 60 of them, okay? So it's somewhere around seven miles, seven and a half miles, something like that. And as they walked along, these two disciples of Jesus, they were joined along the way by the Lord himself. And they began to talk about all of the happenings in Jerusalem. And they said to, they said to the Lord, we thought it was him. We thought it would be him that would be the redeemer of Israel. But Jesus joined up with them and he, he began to actually correct them and to straighten out their theology. From time to time, I think all of our theology needs straightening out, don't you? But he began to straighten out their theology and he began to tell them that uh, uh, about Jesus and about the messianic passages of Scripture that, that came from uh, from all of the prophets. And when the evening came, here, Mark. When the evening came, Jesus acted like he'd go on and they constrained him to stay. And so they all sat down to the table and uh, use your imagination with me, but I suspect Jesus was in the center. You know, he is in charge. He can take charge, and he took charge that day, and uh, they, they were about to have, have a meal together. And uh, maybe Jesus took the container of liquid that was on the, on the table and poured a drink for his friends. And then Scripture tells us that he picked up bread, and he raised it to heaven and he asked the Father to bless what they were about to partake of. And then he, he broke the bread and he gave it to his friends. The scripture says it was at that moment that these men realized who was with them that day. And as he handed it to them, then Jesus disappeared got up and moved out of their presence supernaturally. And uh, when, when he did, they began to talk among themselves about what they had experienced that afternoon on the road. 
And they became excited about the reality that they knew now that the rumors that they had been hearing about Jesus being alive were true. And they went back to tell the others at Jerusalem. So that's the essence of the scriptural reading in, in the book of Luke. I have always found this particular passage, uh, I, I see it in a, a warmth and a depth and an intimacy that, that I, I don't see in, in, all of the, in all of the passages. There's just, there's just something different, something unusual about this narrative of Jesus meeting two of his disciples. And it was not two of the twelve, it was two of the disciples that had followed him maybe, maybe the whole three, three and a half years that he had been on the earth. And uh, Jesus shared with them that afternoon, came into their lives, and surprised them on the road to Emmaus. Recently, in a rereading of this particular passage of Scripture, I came across four things that I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at the temperament, the teaching, the table manners. That's kind of an unusual point, isn't it? But we're going to talk about table manners this morning. The table manners and the telling. So consider with me some of the things that, that stood out to me in this passage of Scripture. First of all, let's talk about the, the temperament that's involved here. How do you feel about strangers that walk up and just insert themselves into your conversation? Now, it's at this point that I've got to tell you what one of my pet peeves is. I have more than one, but this is one of my favorites, okay? One of my pet peeves is for clerks or people that I am completely unacquainted with calling me sweetheart or honey or sweetie or babe or any configuration of, of the above. Now, I'm, I'm being pretty transparent here this morning, and what I'm expecting is for some smart aleck like Jack Bobbitt or Scott Henson to start calling me sweetheart. Because <laughs> Floyd Brownell might do it. I don't know. But Roger says he might back there. I, I, I can see... So here I am, I'm telling you. But you see, the thing about this, I know you guys. And I know how you are, all right? All right? I, I, was, uh, I was in a convenience store recently, which is not unusual. It's, uh, I, I frequent the convenience stores. And, and I, was, I stopped in this convenience store, and I, I heard a young woman dumping the details of some crisis in her life on, a, on another man. And this man was several years her senior. And because of the, 
the conversation and how intimate it was, I thought they must be friends. I assumed that, that they must be friends and, and that here she was talking to her friend. And, but as the, as the conversation progressed, I realized it, it became obvious to me that she had just bumped into this guy at the drink fountain at the 7-Eleven. And she was just regurgitating the details of, of this incident in her life on this fellow at the drink fountain. And, and somewhere during this conversation, she stepped into my way and she said, Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. And then she continued to just dump on this old boy what she had to say about this latest dilemma in her life. And she inserted a couple of times in the conversation how God was in control. People like that always scare me. When she finished filling her drink, she walked behind me and patted me on the back. Now, folks, that's another faux pas. But she patted me on the back and, and, she, and she said to me, I'm sorry I got in your way, babe. And in my mind, I went, yuck. Honestly, honestly, I thought of a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 11 says, A fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. You see, people who insert themselves into a situation or into a conversation, leaving the impression that their crisis is greater or that their opinion is more authoritative or that their spirituality is deeper, people like that cause me to step back. Sometimes literally to step back, and certainly emotionally, and I become very wary of people like that. You see, but here Jesus was walking along, and he inserts himself into this situation. Now, I've, I've given this a lot of thought over the last two or three weeks preparing for this message today, and I thought, you know, circumstances in that day and time were probably different than what they are today. You didn't meet just a lot of people. It wasn't like this was a crowded avenue that they were on. And, and so for uh, Jesus to join up with these two apostles, one of them was Cleopas. We don't know who the other one was, but uh, when Jesus joined up with them, it, it might have been fairly common at that particular time for, for him to join in the conversation. But here it appears that Jesus just takes over. That it becomes his conversation to share with them what he knew to be the truth. But there was something winsome about Jesus. There was something about his personality. There was something about his nature. There was something about his mannerisms that people were drawn to him. You see, the multitudes were drawn to Jesus. And in other places, we see where it says people 
observed a greater depth of understanding and authority in his teaching and in his preaching. And these two men found themselves drawn magnetically to him as he joined them on the way. You see, God is that way about anyone who will have an open heart to him. He, can, he will come into your lives. He will come into your pathway. He will come into the, the way that you are traveling. And he will join himself to you. And if you will allow him, he will give proper direction to your life. And you see, how can we turn away from such love and character that inspired words like, O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And I love the verse that says, Could we think the ocean fill, or were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. You see, it was the love of God. It was the character of God that inspired such things like that. And I encourage you this morning to uh, walk slowly. Listen carefully. Jesus wants to join you. He wants to walk along with you. I don't care where you're at this morning. If you'll just pay attention, Jesus wants to walk along. So the first thing I wanted you to see was the temperament of Jesus, this winsomeness of the Son of God as he walked along. Secondly, let's talk about the teaching. You see, as Jesus walked along with them, he said convicting things to them. Luke chapter 24, verse number 25, Jesus said to them, O fools. Now, I wouldn't pay attention after that. Come on now. But they did. And he said to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I, I read that passage just a few days ago in, in the message, and it says this. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Frequently, I return to the words of Willard Cantillon at the end of a... Uh, camp meeting sermon, and this has been a lot of years ago, but it's so stuck in my spirit. And the late Willard Cantillon was closing his sermon with prayer, and in this particular prayer he said, Lord, help us to realize that you convict us, not to condemn us, but to convert us. I don't know how you feel about that, but I've given that a lot of thought over the years, and I find that to be extremely profound. There are times when, when I want to say to the Lord, just leave me alone. Don't convict me of the things in my life. And yet when I put it in the context 
that Brother Cantillon understood, I realize that he doesn't do it to condemn us, but to convert us, to bring us into that right relationship with him. You see, it was Jesus' desire on this day to convert their thinking from the carnal norms of that day to the spiritual truth of the Scripture and to renew their faith that had been shattered by the circumstances. Now let me tell you something, friend. You've been through circumstances that at times shatters your faith. Janice and I have faced some things in the last several months that have attempted to shatter our faith. But as we walk along and we allow Jesus to insert himself into the situations and to share with us those things that are so important in our lives, if we listen carefully, Jesus will renew and strengthen our faith today. He will strengthen our faith in this service. So he, he said some things that were convicting to them. But also as he walked along, he taught them. And he didn't just teach them randomly and haphazardly. He taught them systematically. Look at Luke 24, verse number 27, where it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He began at the beginning, and he began to work it down the line. And he began to share with them from all the prophets. And he brought out the messianic passages and the messianic prophecies. And he shared with them about himself and taught them systematically from the scripture. There needs to be some kind of system to your Bible reading and Bible study. Some kind of system. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is, but I don't know what yours is. But I will tell you that there are some things that I think are necessary. First of all, I think it needs to be daily. We need to be daily in the Word of God. If all the Scripture you get is what you hear on Sunday morning when Pastor or Dave or John or I open the Word and share with you from the Scripture... If that's all you get, I am concerned that it's not enough. There needs to be something daily in your life. And it needs to be progressive. You, you, you need to be following all the way through one book. Or you need to find a subject and follow that subject through all the scripture. You need to be building progressively in an edifying manner that builds up your experience with the Lord. We don't need to be like the man that I have heard about that just opened the Scripture randomly and took his finger and pointed to a Scripture and expected that to speak to him at that moment. This particular man let the Bible fall open where it may, and he just reached down and he touched a passage and it ended up on Matthew 27 and 5 where it says Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> and he thought that can't be 
God's word for me. That can't be God's word. And so he let it fall open again and he touched down and it was Luke 10, 37 where Jesus said, go and do that likewise. And again, he shakes his head and he said, that, that can't be, that can't be it. And so he let it open again and he reached down and he pointed and it was on John 13, 27 where Jesus said, that thou doest do quickly. There's no system in that. There's no discipline in that. You see, let us approach the truth of the living word of God with patience and with discipline. And there's one rule that I have learned over the years, and I share it with classes, and I share it with individuals, I share it with my family, and it's this, always context. Look at the whole picture. Look at the whole picture. Always context, never proof text. It's a, it's a rule you can live by when it comes to studying the Scripture. So there was the temperament, there was the teaching, and now let's, let's talk about table manners. When I, when I said that a while ago, you had to be shaking your head and say, where is he going this morning? We don't have any idea. We never know where he's going, but where is he going this morning? Were there certain standards expected of you at the table as a child? Uh, we were expected never, and I don't mean once in a while, I mean never to bump our teeth with our fork. I mean, if we'd be, if we'd be eating along and, and we'd take a fork full of food and we'd stick it in our mouth and by accident we'd bump our teeth, bump the, the enamel of our teeth, Dad would say, that's enough. Cut that out. And I'm telling you what, when Dad spoke, we knew we stopped. And so my brother and I developed that, that habit to never bump our teeth with our fork. And we were expected to never slurp our food. Now, you can imagine when others do these things, it drives me to distraction. It runs me up a wall when somebody takes their fork or their spoon and bumps it on their teeth. Or when somebody takes a spoonful of anything and goes, Oh, it just goes all over me. And 50 years ago, these issues caused some tense moments in our newly formed household. But I will tell you today that Janice doesn't bump her fork on her teeth. And not only Janice, but my children do not bump their forks on their teeth, and they do not slurp their food. You see... These disciples walked with Jesus. They had talked with Jesus. They had listened to him teach profoundly from the word of God to the point that their hearts burned from the influence of the anointing of the Spirit of God on his life. 
but they did not recognize him. They didn't recognize him. But when he sat down with them at the table, and he picked up a piece of bread, and he lifted it to the Father, and he asked God's blessings on what they were about to receive, and he broke it and he divided it between them, they said, we've seen somebody do it that way before. We've seen that. We recognize those mannerisms. We recognize that behavior. And suddenly they realized and they recognized that it was Jesus. It was Jesus. So I say to you this morning, be observant. If you will be observant, he will reveal himself clearly to you. Be observant. So there was the temperament. There was the teaching. There were the table manners. And finally, there is the telling. Now, I want you to remember that these men had walked a long way. They had walked seven to seven and a half miles from Jerusalem that afternoon. It was late in the evening. They were tired and hungry. But when they realized that it was Jesus that they had been with, when they realized that the things that they had been told about him rising from the dead were true, they had to tell someone. They had to tell someone. Hunger was forgotten. Fatigue was forgotten. Tired feet were forgotten. And distance didn't matter. They got up right then and rushed back to Jerusalem to share the good news. He is alive. Jesus is really alive. Let me tell you something, friend. He is alive today. He is here this morning in this service.